Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. It's Wrestling Changed My Life. Today's guest is Coach Steve Garland, who's the head coach of the University of Virginia. Now, Coach Garland has had a crazy, crazy childhood. It it was super rocky, broken home type of thing. And I can't wait for y'all to hear about how he used that as kind of this fuel for his competitive career and for his coaching career. And man, you would be one lucky guy to be a part of this program at Virginia with the Paulsons and Coach Garland. So hope you enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. And for past episodes, please visit WrestlingChangeMyLife.org. And you've heard me say it before. You're going to hear me say it again. If you're listening to this on your phone, please give us a review. Give us a rating. Subscribe. It goes a long way, and we appreciate it. And I don't know why I always say we, because it's just me doing this. But again, thank you all. We'll chat soon. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time. Enjoy the show. Well, I was a fanatic. There's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room because of exhaustion, and it never happened. The thing it did for me every day about 6 o'clock is that when I got out, I looked back in, and there was nobody else there. Bottom line was I didn't reach my goal. So guess what happened? I went back in the room again. But I got some quality time because of just... Let's just dive right on into it, man. Um head coach Steve Garland at University of Virginia. Coach, we got to start with your uh, upbringing. I've heard from a number of people you have a crazy story as a kid. Um, so what were you like as a kid and what was your uh, what was your, your youth like, so to speak? Oh, wow. We're going to go right into it from there, huh? Man. Let's go, baby. Okay. <laughs> well, well, okay. So, uh, yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I want to be careful not to sort of over-dramatize or think I had it worse than a lot of people. You know, I meet people every day who, you know, definitely had a lot – had a lot of obstacles, a lot more obstacles than me, but you know, just to cut right to the chase, I have a twin brother. So right there, I was half nuts because of that, you know, any wrestling guy, you know, whether it be the Brands brothers, the Steiners, the Paulsons, you have a twin brother and you're in our sport. There's something about it, man. There's something about having a twin. And we were hardwired. First of all, I think God hardwired us really competitive and just really ornery and just sort of scrappy. You know, I mean, I, I joke around with my wife a lot and she's like, why are you the way you are? She gets really perplexed by me. I said, honey, in sixth grade, we were on the Pop Warner football field, and I had missed a play. My brother, who was the starting quarterback of the team, grabbed me by the face mask and headbutted me in the end zone, and we started fist fighting on the football field. My grandmother was out there yelling. My dad ran out in the field and beat the crap out of both of us. Like, this, this is the type of – this is just how I was hardwired. I wasn't doing that to show off. He, either was he. We were just in the zone. I mean, I, we took it serious. You know, like, I remember being a catcher in Little League. I was in, like, fourth grade, and – one of the kids wasn't doing something right. He had his hand on his hip or he was kind of floating off in the space. And I started screaming at him on the field. Like, you know, hey, what are you doing? Let's go. You know, and, and the umpire goes, easy, buddy. You know, like, he's like, what's wrong with you? I mean, everything I so, – so I just remember even at a young age, everything I did I took serious. I mean, I, I walked into first grade and I walked up to the biggest kid in the school and just basically told him this is my classroom now. You know, just like crazy stuff like that. Just I don't even know why that was in me. I just – so I was right. kind of rear – sort of inbred like that and I guess born like that and then on top of that I was born into a wild family so I my mom's side my mom's maiden name is Barbario and they had Italian restaurant business my my grandfather Archie Barbario when he came over from Italy him and his dad they started butcher shop restaurants so they owned a couple restaurants in little town Middletown New York where I was born and raised and then my the other side is the Irish Catholic side so my dad's side uh, Irish Irish uncles that were heavy drinkers tough dudes and they were my heroes and so I literally my grandfather's bar I remember I was pretty much raised in that bar. And I remember 
you know, some of my earliest memories are those guys scrapping downstairs in the bar and, and uh, or, you know, the, the language I heard or the, the things I heard. And, and uh, I wanted to be just like them. I wanted to be tough like them. So my brother and I were just really ornery kids and, um, and we were kind of fighters by nature. And, and how, the, how this all sort of tied into wrestling was right around. So my parents split when I, I had a great childhood up until about the age of eight. My parents split up, but like most kids go through, but that divorce hit me really hard. I'll just speak for myself because my dad was my hero. I'll never forget. I've shared this at testimonies in churches and, and in different speeches across the country that I remember being eight years old and walking upstairs and seeing my dad uh, and my hero. I'd never seen him like this before crying on the bed saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. He just kept saying that over and over again. And I didn't know what to do. And I, and it was, the, it was, I, to this day, I can really tap into that feeling of how scared I was and how hurt I was. I ran underneath my bed and kind of hit under my bed, a little eight year old kid who probably weighed like, you know, 40 pounds. I didn't even know what was happening. And, and then our world kind of got really disrupted there. I mean, the best way I can explain it is instability, right? So kids need stability. They need to have a home. They need to have, you know, all these different things. We, we, it was just unstable. My mom ended up taking a job in uh, Ohio. So she moved from New York to Ohio with my little sister. I mean, my brother stayed with my dad and, you know, she just was trying to better her life and she had a great opportunity, but uh, when she left, you know, then we were with my dad and my dad is, um, he ended up, um, ultimately he drank himself to death. Essentially. He passed away about a year ago and I don't want to badmouth him because when he was sober, he was a great guy. He was, he was a, a guy that was life of the party. He was phenomenal. Me and my brother, but he struggled with alcoholism his whole life. I mean, I think he started drinking at 12 years old. And so yeah, at that time in our lives, he was sober and it was good. It was good for about a year. And then he just, he fell off the wagon. I'll never forget in seventh grade walking into the apartment we were living in. And he was, he was drinking Coors Lights, man. He was just popping them one after another. And I finally got the courage to say something to him. And I approached him and just said, dad, you know, what, what are you doing? And he snapped. I mean, he just snapped. And he was a six, 300 pound guy, about 5'11", 300. He was a, uh, he, he was a lot bigger than me. Let's just say that. And I got really scared. And, and right from there, it's when that was about seventh grade. I, he, everything just kind of fell apart. He, he went into a slow fade into the distance. I mean, he was drinking, so much that there'd be nights where he just wouldn't come home. Um, you know, there was nights where we were, uh, me and my brother were just by ourselves. And when he was home, it was kind of disconnected. He struggled with depression because drinking feeds into that too. And then he got laid oh, yeah. off. And I mean, just, and we moved, I think probably five or six times in seven years, but we just moved. So we never were stable. We were living with one grandparent. Then we were living with the other side grandparent. Then we were living in an apartment. Then we were living on Sunnyside Avenue. Then we were living in an apartment complex. And we were back with my grandpa. Then we were back with my grandma. And then, it was just everywhere. And when you're doing that as a kid, I'll tell you one thing it did was teach us survival skills, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and but this is where it gets, this is where it gets bad is me and my brother, right around eighth grade, I think we probably decided screw everybody. You know, we just honestly, we don't think we ever had a conversation, but we both like, well, if no one, we're just going to do this thing called life ourselves. We're going to handle this ourselves. We're okay. We don't need anybody. That's a really dumb thing for a kid that age to think, but we really believed it. And so we got in with a, with a group of kids who were, even tougher I mean crazy group of kids who were living in the housing project Avemore Heights housing project and a family by the name of the Hasbrook family they took us into their home basically and we kind of moved in with them for two years I mean that's where we were every single day I mean I'm talking every day we were at their house and there were a lot of good things a lot of, a lot of great love I experienced and support from great people but there's also a lot of bad things I mean picture this picture in eighth grade a bunch of delinquent kids running around the streets of Middletown by themselves till two in the morning and that's what we did because there was no dads in the picture. I mean, none of us, one of the sad parts about my neighborhood I grew up in is I think there was only two guys that I can remember that actually had a dad that was an active part of their life every day. Every single house wow. except for one was a split home. Every home was a split home. 
every everybody was a product of divorce or something else. And um, so think about that. I mean, and, and it's so important. I, I speak about this a lot, how important it is to have a male figure in a young man's life. So we just did whatever we wanted. We had disdain for authority. Uh, we just, I mean, it was just completely off the charts, doing whatever we want to do when we want to do it. Uh, I mean, I was in the back of a squad car the first time in eighth grade, you know, and that's, that's insane. It's, I'm not bragging about that. I'm saying that to my shame, you know, and that's right. And my brother, my brother was really, you know, really into this, this lifestyle that was uh, not good, you know, and, and, and Criminal here's life. where wrestling comes yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. not good. And, and, and so yeah. long story short is eighth grade, this guy named Randy Keys. Uh, the most, you know, this is where wrestling, you know, there's, there's two things I wanted to really highlight is how wrestling is a good thing and that could be a bad thing. The great thing about wrestling is he took us into the wrestling room, slammed me against the wall, never forget it, and said, you guys think you're hard? You guys want to be gangsters? You guys want to hang out with drug dealers? You guys want to, you know, I see the way you guys walk around, the, you know, this, the hallways. You guys think you're that tough? How about this? How about I drive you to the Bronx and leave you for dead? Then we'll see how tough you are. We lived an hour from the Bronx. And I said, no, nah, man, I don't want that. I'm scared to death, you know? He said, here's the other option. That's your first option. Option two is you come in that wrestling room, I'm going to make you a state champion because I believe in you and I know you can be good at this. If you trust me, if you let me help you, if you, if you listen to what I'm telling you to do, uh, you're, you guys are going to have a career in this thing. And isn't that amazing? It changed my life at that point. I mean, I just thought, I, first of all, somebody that really believed in me, somebody I looked up to and I thought was, because he was really tough in his own right, and frankly, that's what I responded to at that age, right? Uh, and a guy that looked me in the eye and said, I believe in you, you can do something with your life. And so we went in that, so back into you, that room, how man. How did you find this guy in the first place? So you're running around the project, so, you know, living wild. And how does he come into your life to begin? I with? met him at Dave Moore Heights. I met him there. <laughs> yeah. He was, he had oh, just gotten wow. in a fight. He had, yeah, he had gotten in a fight and he was walking around with a pit bull and his head split open. Somebody hit him in the back of the head with a chair in a street fight. And he was walking around looking for the guy with his pit bull. <laughs> And I thought, man, that guy's tough. <laughs> I mean, that's how sad. That's how that, that's how my mind worked back then. I thought, man, this guy's awesome. You know, and then I saw him in the hallway, and he, and he was like, look, I'm, I'm a wrestling coach. I, I know what I'm talking about. What you, call, you want to think you're tough? Let's go be tough then. I'll, I'll, I'll make you tough. And he called me out in the right way. You know, I think men need that. We need somebody to say, hey, cut the crap. Knock it off. You're a 100-pound little white guy. Quit walking around like you're a thug, and let's go do something productive with your life. <laughs> you know, and right. – and, uh, he brought me in there, and, and, and again, yeah, Randy was a was a was a, was a phenomenal mentor for me for all the way through junior high and high school. And uh, to this day, I'm still you know I'm, you know every time I go back to New York, I try to look him up. But um, so yes, yeah, so then we got all in on wrestling. I mean, that, from that point on, it became an obsession. Um, and 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 then all the way through high school, and and then uh, uh, you know obviously helped get me to college. But you know it, the bad thing where wrestling comes in and. I don't know how far you want me to go with this, but this kind of continued no, uh, how wrestling changed my life. You know, the theme of your show is it. So it became su such an obsession that it was the only thing I thought about. And Heath Esslinger, I got to give him credit. He said this to me once. He said, wrestling is a good thing. It can be a great thing. He's like, you've got to be very careful when it becomes the only thing. And it became the only thing in my life that mattered. Now, good thing is it kept me out of trouble. I mean, I wasn't, I, I, in, in ninth grade, we had a buddy. We were walking home from school. His name's Tony Chase. And he got, um, we broke off from the herd and he separated from us and two kids he had gotten an argument with early in their day, hunting them down and literally shot them nine times point blank range with a handgun. They passed the gun back and forth and just took turns shooting them. Um, and we went and visited him in the hospital, me and my brother. And I remember being scared to death. I remember thinking to myself, um, wow, thank God I have wrestling because I, I, I gotta, I gotta stop. I gotta, I have, I don't want this, you know, I'm not that tough. I don't want any part of any of this. I want to. 
I want to be a part of something else. And, um, and I went all in on it, man. I'm talking like, if anybody knows me, I get fixated on things pretty quick. I mean, it became like yeah. my diet was perfect. My training was perfect. I would, I would literally go to the track, Middletown High School track, at midnight and run 400-meter sprints by myself because I thought I was getting – I thought, well, everybody else was sleeping. I was getting tougher. And that's how warped my brain was. I probably could have just done it at, what, 6 o'clock at night. But, you know, I needed to do it at midnight because everybody else was sleeping. You know, and I and would, was my this, third like workout. Like, you're in high school or in middle school when this is Yeah, like, my high school. Like I, would, I, would, I would jog to my high school track at midnight, man, and I would run, I would run 400-meter sprints. Uh, you were just obsessed, yeah. man. I was out of my gourds, crazy. Yeah, and then I went to like we were broke, so we didn't have any money. So I would like, uh, you know, buddy up with other kids from other towns and find ways to get to tournaments, or you know, hook up with uh, older guys who had cars, and we'd sleep in the car. Like for Northeast Regionals, when I won the Northeast Regionals at Brockport, where I used to have it, we actually slept in a car. We slept in a Camaro, the four of us. And then my buddy, this is shameful now. Wow, we didn't have any money for food, so my buddy went into a grocery store and stole peanut butter and jelly and bread. And we went eight, and then we went in. We had just enough to get in the tournament. Went in the tournament, won the tournament, qualified for Fargo. <laughs> Drove back home. I walked in the house. I'm like, Ma, I won it. She's like, You won what? I'm like, I just won the blah blah blah. She goes, Hey, I worked three jobs. You think I? Where'd you get the money for that? <laughs> like, she didn't even really know what was going on, you know. I mean, she was happy for me, but she had no idea what was even happening, you know. Uh, and that's how motivated we were. That we didn't need anybody to tell us to go to it. We wanted to go do it. And so I didn't have the crazy wrestling dad that was pushing me and making me do this, making me do that. I wanted to do it. Then I went to Fargo and took third at Fargo. And uh, it was a huge deal for me at the time and, and uh, came back and, and it just kept growing. And then, but, he, but here's where it gets sad. My senior year in high school, I lose in the state finals. Um, second year in a row, I'd lost in the state championship back-to-back years. I was a heavy favorite in the finals and blew it. And uh, to this day, it's funny, even really – I, I had certainly never watched the match, but I can't even really think about it because it just still hurts to this day. I mean, it was just awful. Um, and I'm, and, but this is where wrestling can become a bad thing again is because it was the only thing in my life that mattered. And I literally didn't care about anything else. I remember thinking, what's the point of even living? You know, if I'm not a state champ, I mean, what's the point of it all? I mean, I, I wouldn't know what you were. Oh, seriously. I mean, I wasn't suicidal. So like I mean, yeah. What was it like the week? So your senior year, uh, you know, yeah. that's the end, right? And at this point, had yeah. you decided you were going to wrestle in college? I wanted to, yes, but I didn't know where I was going yet. Back then, recruiting was so much different. But yeah, no, I didn't know. I, I just, I just was so myopically focused on winning. And then when I lost, I thought, well, what the heck? What am I? Who am I? What am I going to do now? This is the only thing that matters to me, and I didn't get it. <laughs> you know, uh, it was wow. sad. I mean, I remember ripping up my bracket, and I'm, you know, back then there was only one state, there was only one division in New York. It was one true state champ. So everybody converged into one tournament. So it was a big deal. And, and I mean, I blew it, man. I didn't, I didn't get the goal. And I, I was so mad at myself and I was so sad. And my coach, I remember looking at my coach, Paul Cummings, my head coach, who I'm really close with. And he was just so heartbroken for me, man. I felt like I let him down and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. Um, and I remember going into the hotel, Hotel Syracuse, and, and just being completely devastated by myself, completely alone up in my hotel room, not knowing what to do and who to go to. And I was very immature. I didn't know how to talk about it. And it was awful, man. And then, you know, I, I ended up, my brother, my twin brother, ended up going to Central Connecticut State shortly after that. He committed to Central Connecticut State, which, believe it or not, was a small Division One school back then. And because he was going, I said, okay, I'll go. It was that simple. I mean, I just, well, wherever my brother's going, I'm going to go. So I went there. And they dropped the program about three quarters way through the year. And the head coach, Kenny DeStefanis, who again is a guy I'm friends with to this day, called up Lenny, or I forget how this exactly happened. I think Lenny might've called him actually, now that I think about it. 
and I just happened to be in the office. Yeah, <laughs> I was just, I literally just happened to be sitting in the office. Kennedy puts the phone down with the old landline days and goes, hey, they're going to have to coach from Virginia. You got to talk to this guy. And Kennedy vouched for me. And Lenny, the crazy part of the story is Lenny, the old coach, Lenny Bernstein, wasn't even calling for me. He was calling about two other guys on the team. And Kenny D said, no, no, you don't want them. You want this guy. This guy goes running when everybody else is drinking. He drills hard. He tries hard. He's, I wasn't even the starter at Central Connecticut State. But he said, trust me, this guy's got talent. He gave him my background and the Fargo and the state championships and all that stuff. And so Lenny flew me down on a visit. And, and I remember just begging coach. I remember saying, coach, uh, my mom's poor. You know, she's a waitress and a secretary. You know, we're full financial aid. Whatever we got to do, just please get me in. <laughs> I was recruiting him. I was like, no, no, seriously. This place is beautiful. I was on campus for 10 minutes, and I thought, I got to be here. You know, I mean, this place is that like How much nicer is Virginia uh, than the area where you probably grew up? I mean, it's like, I heard it's this. Oh, my goodness. Campus. I couldn't believe it. Even something as simple as this, it's going to sound ridiculous, but even driving from the airport into campus, I remember how good everything was. And, you know, when you go up in a more of an urban area, I thought to myself, wow, like trees. And then I get on campus and people are smiling. There's pretty girls everywhere. Nobody's cussing me. I'm like, this is awesome. Nobody wanted to fight me the whole trip. <laughs> I was like, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. People are wonderful here, you know. Uh, and, I, yeah, I was just hooked right away. And so, so did your brother yeah, go with we, you? We went... No. And so, so here's where things get really sad for in that side of things. So when I got here, the separation really hurt my brother. My brother went off the deep end um, right away, and then together, and he was wrestling Division Three for Cortland, and he was seated. He was he was a seated guy at Division Three Nationals. He was still wrestling. Things were good for him, and then once he lost at Nationals that year, he quit wrestling, completely left it, got really mixed up bad in the drugs and uh, using drugs and dealing drugs, got kicked out of like two to two or going to jail for. Uh, seven and a half years for maximum security federal penitentiary for drug trafficking. And, um, and look, you know, he's doing great now and we're trying to rebuild that relationship and get closer, but that was a really, really tough time for my family. Tough time for me. Especially, I mean, I see more anything tough time for him, right? He's the one that had to do that time. And, and he did, he made it, he survived and he, and he got through it and he's, um, building a life back for himself, but it was, uh, yeah, he, as I went, as, your show as I went one way he went the other and uh, that doesn't mean I'm better than him I want to be clear on that I, I don't it was just all by God's grace that I ended up going one way he went the other it wasn't because I was some special kid it was just you know wrestling became my outlet and, and this other thing became his outlet yeah and it's it's amazing and sense. it makes a lot of sense and it's amazing to look back on just how lucky each and every one of us are to have like certain people in our lives. Like we can all point to and say, man, that was pure dumb luck, but man, that person in my life changed, changed my life. Right. And so, yeah, um, I think everyone can, can agree that there's some person in their life that had that kind of impact on them. Right. Absolutely. I've, I've used, I've said his name, coach Keys's name. Every speech I give in any wrestling uh, situation, I always reference him because oh, guys, you realize without him, who knows what would happen to me? Who knows? Right. I mean, right. I, I, I was, I needed to be channeled and, and I could have put that chance, that, that, that sort of, um, that energy into something totally terrible. Right. I mean, it could have been just as easy, but I, I channeled it in the wrestling praise God. And then that's, and look what happened. So, so yeah. And then, uh, after I, after I took second in the country here, it opened up a door. Hold on, hold on. Job. We can't skip oh, forward that much, man. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. So you get to Virginia and, yeah. um, at that point, are they, you know, a, a, like a well-known program? Had they had many All-Americans? What was like the state of affairs walking into Virginia as a wrestler? 
Yeah. So, well, first of all, I was, I had a really long way to go. I mean, I, did, I knew nothing. I knew less than nothing. I was, I was, I wasn't good. Um, so when I walked in, I was excited. I, I, I was excited to be a part of this program. I didn't know whether we were good or bad. I just knew the kids were better than me. And so I was just so grateful every single day. Um, I was humbled walking in the room. I mean, I, I was getting beat up in the room when I first got here and learning a ton and, and, and got, got connected right away with Jim Harshaw, who, who is one of my best friends to this day. He's a three-time. He, he was just on the podcast last week. No way. Oh my goodness. That's so awesome. Yeah. 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 Jim's my boy. So Jim was, you know, all American and guy really looked up to. So I yoked up with him right away and just started learning a ton. We had some good years. I mean, coach Bernstein, we put together, well, he had not none of the resources. Yeah. It was only half funded back then. We had terrible facilities. And even with that, my 99 and 2000 back to back, we were top 25 in the country two years in a row with, you know, Harshaw and Rothy placed in 1999 and then 2000, I took second. Um, so you know the team, Jim, uh, John McGovern, do you? Oh yeah. He coached me for a year. Love John. Yes. Huge, man, huge I went to undergrad at, at university of Dubuque. I didn't wrestle for him there, but I knew him. Uh, he's a great guy, man. That guy's, that guy's a motivating guy. I was going to say, you, you want to talk about a guy who, who'll get you fired up. Coach McGovern, coach McGovern had Harshaw convinced he was going to beat Lincoln Macarid. That's how good a motivator he is. <laughs> nobody else wow. in the world thought jim was going to win but jim thought he was going to win yeah no that's how great a coach McGovern is you better believe it yeah so then you yeah. you have a you know, you start to get the hang of things you're at virginia your senior year you wrestle uh, jody strip matter in the quarters who's ranked number one like going into that match like you remember what like what are you thinking going into that match and what's your yourself talking like what, what's your mood what are you feeling like kind of talk take us into what it was like for you Going up against a guy yeah. who well, I want was yeah well I, I want to be careful because I want to because Jody Stripmatter is a phenomenal guy and phenomenal coach and um I mean he's I, I, I just want to be very careful not to sort of come across as insulting to him or the Iowa program but I'll be honest what I was thinking was I was angry going in that match because I remember after winning the, against the Arizona State kid the second round and and people were asking me in the tunnels and when I was cutting weight and stuff well who do you got tomorrow and I would say his name and they would go oh oh, oh sorry man stuff like that. And I was ticked off. <laughs> I mean, the fighter in me was like, wait a second. I know the guy's really good. And I know he's the one thing, but what about me? Like, you know, well, I, I don't know. It was insulting. You know, I was like, I, I, I can do something out here. I, you know, I'm pretty tough too. And um, so, and I remember right after making weight, you know, it's an hour, it's only an hour weigh-in. So you don't have a lot of time to think, right? You, 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 you weigh in and then boom, you're on the mat. And so I had like a half a Nutrigrain bar, drank a, a Powerade, I think, and, and was ready to scrap. And I remember... I forget which coach it was, but one of their coaches was staring at me before the match. And I'm not proud of this, uh, but I say it just to make the point is the more he stared at me, the more it helped me, the more it pissed me off. Um, look, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, but it's, I'm no sissy, man. And I'll tell you what, I, I still got that middle town in me. You start staring me down. I'm like, I know some crazy guys too. It's <laughs> like, 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 I'm a fighter. So were you too, expected man. to win that match too. by any means? No, not, no one thought I could win. But I, I, I was like, listen, if I know this, it's going to be a fight. Like, people, you keep looking at me like that. I don't think you realize I've been in some fights, like real fights. I'm not talking about let's go get some rules. and some, I've been in some fight fights. And so don't look at me that way. And, I, and it helped me. And, 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 I, and so I'll stop there so I don't sound like a lunatic. But I remember getting on that mat thinking, here we go, <laughs> from the first smack. It was like, that's one thing I know something about is that, you know. And so I, what I'm saying is, is, People sometimes in the wrestling world, because they are tough and they do work hard, I don't think they realize it. And there's real world stuff going on out there too. You know what I'm saying? Like there's tough people outside the wrestling world. <laughs> you know, right. there's people that have been through some real stuff. I've seen, I've seen some stuff. Let's just say that. And I thought to myself, man, these guys don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm re- I, like, I don't think they know 
shoot, I'm, I'm ready too. And so, so my point is that helped me. So what it did was it freed me up to not think about the result, to not think about what I'm going to do and just go out and fight. So I made, so that match was a fist fight for me and it ended up going overtime and, you know, I was fortunate enough to pull it out and, and win, but more to make the point of just, you know, you asked what I was thinking about. That's what I was thinking about was that I wasn't thinking. And, and that's when I'm at my best. When I was thinking is in the national finals, but a day later when I had all day to think about it, that was the worst situation for me because I had eight hours to, to process and think and lay in my bed. And that's when I let anxiety, I let worry, I let fear, I let, I let all these other emotions. I use this as a testimony to my team to tell them what not to do. By the time I got on that mat, I was emotionally and physically exhausted before I even stepped on the mat in the finals because my mindset was in the wrong place. I was thinking about all the wrong things. And one of my biggest regrets in my college career is that I wish I could go back in time and not even, not even win. I, I just want to go back and compete in such a way. It's one of the pillars of our program now, compete in such a way. And that's where I was born out of is that memory of me not competing in such a way as me going out there and not being that guy that wrestled in the quarters with the fight. You know, the way I compete, compete matters. I always tell the guys that's what matters to us, not the result. The end result, you don't be, I'm not attached to the outcome anyway. The outcome is God's. What, I'm, what I am responsible for and I need to be faithful with is the way I compete. So that's, yeah, hopefully I didn't get too deep, but that's, yeah. No, that, that was awesome. That, that was unbelievable. And then, so then you, um, and, and I want to hit on this because I didn't really know this before the interview, but you got to coach with Rob Cole out of Cornell, which probably was, you know, a huge change from your environment because now you're in the Ivy League and you're with a guy who, really built a program from nothing. Like, what did you learn from Rob Cole? Like, what was your experience like there? Oh, that was incredible. So incredible. So uh, I got there in, in 2000. So in the spring of 2000, when I got there, believe it or not, as much of a powerhouse as Cornell is now, um, when I got there, I think they were in like a five-year drought. They hadn't had one All-American in five years or maybe one All-American in five years. So it was like a, it was a pretty big drought. Um, David Hirsch won a national title in the 90s, but before him, because I think it was only one besides him since the 60s, right? So it was like they weren't where they are today. And so, yeah, I got in at the right time with the right guy. And right when uh, things were changing, when they were getting the new Friedman Center, and Rob was really – he's a forward thinker. He's amongst a lot of good things. He's a visionary. And he, I remember him sitting me down and said, Steve, we're going to compete for a national championship. And, I, and, I, and I'm honest, and I, I've, I've admitted this to my shame before to him, is I thought he was crazy. I thought he was nuts. I'm thinking, is this guy out of his mind? We're like only 40th in the country right now. But sure enough, I watched brick by brick it be built, and I was a part of it. You know, it's, and the more – the reason why I'm so loyal to him is because he believed in me. You know, he kept – it was hard the first year, year and a half, two years, because I was a young, dumb kid that needed to be disciplined and, and needed to learn the business. And, and, um, and he, he was hard on me. He was really hard on me, but in the best way possible. And he invested in me and he taught me how to do the job and he taught me how to recruit and he let me be a fly on the wall when he was raising money and making phone calls. I used to just sit in his office and listen to him and learn. And because I was humble enough, at least at that point in my life to say, I don't know everything. I need to learn this. Um, I think he said to me even more. And so we got really close. And by the third year there, we were really doing some great things. And then by the fourth year, we were fourth in the country. We're from 40th to fourth in four years. And that's a heck of a turnaround. Wow. And um, then I, but by that time I was the head assistant and I was kind of his right-hand man. And then he really gave me a lot of responsibility. By my fifth year there, I was doing everything. I was doing all the admission stuff. I was the recruiting coordinator. I was doing every home visit with him. I mean, I was, I mean, everything other than doing the budget and, um, and, you know, I, I was assisting with, obviously he was the lead man. He was the head man. He was the guy, but I was involved in everything. 
And so what that did by him doing that, he, he actually bred me to be a head coach myself without, I mean, I think it was the best training environment I could ever possibly ask for to lead my own program because every piece of the puzzle, I mean, every piece of the program I was, I was getting a taste of. Does that make sense? So it, yeah, was, totally. it was a, it was a huge training ground for me. It was the best. I can't imagine a better situation. And that's, you know, people joke with me. They're like, man, you idolize her. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm loyal to him because look, I have a lot of faults, but loyalty, at least thank heavens I have that on my side. And, and the guy believed in me. He took a chance on me. He, he helped me. And so, you know, I'm going to be loyal to him because how could you not be, <laughs> you know, how could I, how could, after he all he did for me, how can I not speak of him? Well, well and that's and, a, and do that's the guy where I've watched the documentary on, on that program. And he literally, to this day, even they have to do like cold calling to, to raise money for the program. So I can't imagine what, what kind of dire straits the program was in, in 2000. So like, do you remember any of those, those hard lessons you learned where maybe he got on you for something and, and kind of like what the lesson yeah. was? Man, that's a great, no one's, that's a great question. You're a good interview. No one's ever asked that. Here's, I love telling the story to my assistant coaches. No job is too small. No job is too small for their leader. He used to make me, man, before dual meets, put a, put a vacuum, uh, one of those jetpack vacuum things. You know, like you put the big backpack on, it's a suction thing. He would make yeah. you put that on and vacuum out every bleacher. Every bleacher. Wow. Every bleacher. I mean, I would literally be on my hands and knees scrubbing mats with him, ripping the tape, the little tape that would stick to the mats. He would make the whole team every day get down on our hands and knees and scrub it. And he'd say, hey, wow. no job's too small. You're not above anything. That taught me so much. I was such a punk back then. I needed that. I needed that in my life. Who did I think I was? I'm, I'm too good to vacuum something? You know, can you imagine walking in, I want to say program days, but certain programs in this country and telling some of those coaches they got to do that? They'd probably try to hit you. You know, but it's for me, unheard it, of. But, I wouldn't, you know, even, I wouldn't even think high school people are doing that. Like, I, I'm telling like, you. Oh, that, that's, that's the janitor's <laughs> job. But he was, that's yeah. how much he cared about the program, that he was, exactly. he wanted the experience to be great. Yeah. And, and it was, you got the job done. When Rob, and here's the other thing I learned what real work ethic is like, what real, like, when you, you better, first of all, you better beat him in. And second of all, there's no weekends. There's no off days. There's no this. There's no that. You're working. If, if you've got a heartbeat, <laughs> you're working. You know, whether it be really? driving a van down to Jersey and doing camps or, you know, or, or um, gosh, the countless recruiting calls, handwritten notes. Um, it was nonstop action when you were for that guy. It was real. <laughs> and he, <laughs> like and he was leading by example. Like he was getting in early too, huh? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, um, and, and, you know, a couple of the other lessons were, uh, you know, when you're basically, you know, make obviously believe that when the guys believe in themselves and knowing that you believe in them, and he was very good at, at, at getting in guys' heads and stuff like that, learning stuff like that from him. But, you know, fundraising, everything I learned in fundraising is from him. Um, I think he's the best fundraiser in the country in our sport. And so I got to be a fly on the wall for that. But the thing I'll take, never, never forget, and I'll take the most from is that, is that there's no job too small that, the leader needs to be leading out in front doing that stuff. I mean, don't think you're, don't think you're above anything. Type thing. Yeah. Man, I love that. I could have just imagined being at those, uh, in those meetings early on. And now you look at them, they, that's a program where national contender every year and you know, what they're doing with some of those guys in the regional training center is awesome. So what was it like getting to Virginia and like, like what can you kind of talk us through your run there as a coach? And I know you just brought the Paulsons on, One's uh, an assistant yeah. for you, and then one is the RTC coach. And you had um, you had Mueller this year, who had a great tournament. Um, 
it's like, what's it been like at Virginia and you know, how is it, how has it been running your own program? Yeah. So I want to get to the Paulsons big time because they've changed my personally and professionally. So I want to definitely brag on them, but I just real quickly clip notes with Virginia got here and I mentioned the program was in a good spot when I left, but when I got back in 2006, they were really struggling um, for whatever reason. And we don't need to get in why or, you know, but it was, it was a really tough spot. As a matter of fact, when I came in to give you some context, this team hasn't scored a single point at the national tournament in two years. As a matter of fact, the year before I got here, I don't even think they qualified anybody. So it was, I remember looking at the bracket, it said Virginia 0.0 points. So when I came in, it was kind of at ground zero uh, in terms of just at that particular moment in history, they were just, they were just struggling a little bit. Um, and so uh, it was a really hard year in my life. As a matter of fact, uh, hard year, not just professionally, but then also personally, um, it's a part of my testimony. I won't go too much into this, but that year is when I was so humbled when the biggest change in my life happened, the most important change in my life. I mean, I was, our team was really bad. I was bad as a coach. I was bad as a person. I was failing as a husband. My daughter was, you know, barely a year old. And I didn't even, I didn't even know her or see her because all I ever did was work. I would leave that. We were living out of a hotel. I would leave at seven in the morning and get home at nine thirty at night. I was gone every weekend recruiting, trying to build this thing, but I forgot about what matters most. And I was disrespecting my wife and I wasn't being a good present dad. And I was a terrible person to be around. And it was in that pit, though. And I always tell my guys, God will bring you, he'll break you to use you. And God broke me. I mean, I was broke. I was humbled. I was on my knees at the end of that season. And I cried out to God. And, and I said, look, I, I can't do this on my own anymore. I don't want to do this on my own. I need you. I don't know everything there is to know about you, but I want to, I want to live life for you. I want to live life with you. I don't want to do this big, tough Steve anymore because I'm not. I, I, I need help. I'm, I'm messed up. And that was the beginning of the biggest change in my life. And then I found uh, the city church right after that, a, a great church home where an ex-wrestler was the lead pastor. And um, I gave my life to Christ in that church, man, and prayed the prayer in church. And everything changed in my life personally and in my marriage and with the way I treated everyone around me. And go figure, as that change happened, the program changed. I mean, there's an absolute direct correlation. You can ask anybody that's ever wrestled for me. The guy that I was in 2006 is not the guy that I am today. And that transformation, that transformed heart, transformed life is a living testimony. And it is the proof of, 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 of my faith. And it's the exact reason why I think that I'm still here because I would have been gone without it. I mean, they would have got rid of me a long time ago because I was going that direction. I was, I was a lunatic when I got here. And, and so things changed <laughs> I quickly. love how yeah, I mean, things, you are about like, even though, like, for example, even though you were a, uh, you know, two-time state runner-up, you got to Virginia and you knew nothing. But then even then nothing. you got to Cornell yeah. and you said you still knew nothing. And then you got to Virginia and you're like, dude, I was, I was terrible then. So you're a work terrible. in progress. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I believe yeah. it, but I like how no. humble you are about it, man. Well, well, thank you. And then, and then so things changed and, and sure enough, four years in, well, we won the ACC championship. One second, I'd love first, to know, what were like yeah. some of the biggest changes? Like, so... You got, you got, well, first, um, I was going to say, you got reinvolved with the church, it sounds like. It's like looking back yeah. 12, 12 months after that, like, what were some of the changes? Was it like, well, like, well, first and foremost, brother, I learned it's not about me. Life's not about me. What a newsflash. Mm. I thought it was all about me. It's not all about me. It's, it's, it, and it's not about outcomes. It's not about glory. It's not about what can I achieve today? Because all that stuff, even with everything, I, I won national coach of the year. And I thought that was such a big deal. Two days later, I didn't feel anything. It's like, what does it mean? No one even knows about it. It doesn't even matter. You know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't plug the emptiness in my heart. It, there was a giant hole through the center of me that wasn't going to get closed up with a national title or not. Right? We could have 50 All-Americans, and that wouldn't have changed. And so what I realized is my life needs to be about impact, not outcome. You know, what am I doing for everybody else? Am I really, truly in this profession for the right reasons? 
that was the first thing. My why changed. And once my why changed, everything changed. I had purpose for the first time in my life, real purpose. And, and when that changed, I became a servant leader. I didn't just become a wrestling coach. I became a servant leader. In other words, I'm truly every day when I wake up trying to die to myself and come alive to Christ, say, okay, what, what can I do for the kingdom today? And, and under that giant umbrella of, of your kingdom work, Lord, is husband first, father, wrestling coach, ministry, all that stuff, friend, all that stuff. It's, it's all in there. And, 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 oh, by the way, when you start to approach things like that, all of a sudden the job becomes a lot more joy-filled. It becomes a lot more purpose-filled. You start, you start feeling like you are making a difference, and then maybe you do. You know, everything changes there. It frees you up to actually get in there and, and really do, do some real work and, and, uh, for the right reasons. And so that was the first thing. The second thing is, 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 is as I went through it, that my life, wrestling is what I do. It's not who I am. In other words, I tell my guys that all the time, wrestling is what you do. It's not who you are. You got to be very careful with that because if it's who you are, if this is the only, if everything out there on the mat defines who you are and you fail, then what are you? You're a failure. Well, that's not true. Right. That's what you believe when you're an athlete. That's what you believe. So it helped me to disfer that and say, hey, guys, every day I'm working on that. And, 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 then, and then it helped me come up with the pillars of the program and, and the structure of how we're going to run things and helping these guys work on real life principles. And oh, by the way, yeah, we want to win. But what's funny is when you work on these life principles and you get better in these life principles, you end up winning anyway. <laughs> Go figure. You end, up, you end up winning a lot of matches anyway. So, so it's a mindset change that they really had a huge impact on you when it's not to, it's not to minimize it at all. I mean, the mind is everything. So you say, Hey, it's not about me. It's about other people. And so all your actions started to reflect that new mindset of I'm doing things to help others. And as a result of that, as a coach, I mean, it had to, your program had to flourish and like your, your coaching skills had to just blossom after that because that's obviously the core tenet of coaching anyway, it's helping other people. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then, wow. and again, and off 2010 man we we win the acc championship it was the first acc championship in 33 years in wrestling at the university of virginia it was huge we were top 15 in the country that year at the national tournament so we went from dead last to 2006 to top 15 in the country in 2010 and that's a, again a dramatic turnaround and i i gotta believe it started with me with my turnaround you know it wasn't you know and i'm not saying that to be arrogant i'm saying that because if i didn't change how are they going to change they they the, co- the kid the kids look to the coach for leadership they look to you for how am I supposed to live my life? They look for you for what to believe in. Kids want something to believe in. And then they want somebody to believe in them. And and then that's that that's pretty much how it went down. And then from 2010, 2015, we went on a great run. Um things things kept building. We were we broke in the top ten in the national rankings. We had some great wins over some great teams. Uh we were top twenty five at the national tournament four out of five years, bringing in great recruiting classes, which obviously led to Jack Mueller throughout his group. Uh, 2017, we were top 15 again with Georgie DiCamillo in the national finals and Jack Placen as a freshman. And then, you know, and they just built onto there to the stuff you started with talking about. Um, yeah. But here's where I want to talk about the Paulsons. That's okay. So I've, I've had some Absolutely. amazing coaches. So again, I want, I want to preface this by saying, you know, four of my guys are now head coaches. Uh, uh, Scott Moore is one of my favorite guys of all time. He's the head coach at Lock Haven. And Manny Rivera is a good friend. He's, he's a head coach at Bakersfield, Alex Clemson at Maryland, and Keith Gavin at Pitt. But that being said, not to take anything away from those guys, these particular guys, the Paulsons, when they came into my life, I really believe it was a God thing how, how we got connected. Personally, I'll say it's the happiest I've been, you know, just sort of the most fun I've had in the office ever, uh, in my whole career ever, and then probably the t- almost 20 years I've been doing it. It's just been, and personally, what I have with them is a very deep personal connection. We, our families are really tight. We hang out every, any chance we get. Like the last night, we just had a big dinner together. 
over at, um, I might even go to Trent's son's doing a, a thing for vacation Bible school. I might be go to that tonight. I mean, we just constantly together doing things together. So um, personally for me, it's been phenomenal, but professionally, and here's what I really want to brag on them. They have two of the best wrestling minds of anybody you'll ever meet. They know they've taught me more about wrestling in two years than I've known all the other years combined. And that's no bull crap. I mean, really? just Trent, one session, one, one session with Trent alone. I wish you could come in one day to our room. Hopefully we'll get you here and you can see it. One wrestling session with him. You'll learn more new stuff and see more new stuff in one session with him than you've learned the whole year before. I mean, it's that, it, it, he knows that much stuff. Um, so our kids are spoiled rotten. They have one of the most elite guys you can possibly get. I mean, world team member, national champ, but student of the sport. Same thing with Travis. I sparred with Travis one day and it was embarrassing. He was toying with me like a cat with a mouse. I mean, it was just like, and he, and he, I mean, he's just so good in so many positions. And so for me, it's exciting. I mean, I'm sound like a wrestling dork now, but I like learning about wrestling again. I've yeah. fallen back in love with the sport. And as I fall, fall deeper in love with the sport, the more you want to learn. And I was up this morning at 4 a.m. watching the Yanni match just because I'm into it. Right. And, uh, and, and so yeah. the more I hang out with Travis and Trent, the more I learn and the, the more I respect them and the more they've, the more they gain the attention of the guys on the team. I mean, the guys on the team worship them because they know they have so much knowledge and they invest in the kids. I mean, they're in the wrestling room every single day faithfully. They never miss anything, usually twice a day, go live every single day, work out with the guys every single day. It um, doesn't matter which guy either. It could be the, the, the worst ranking guy on the team, the highest ranking guy on the team, they're going to pour into them. And so that's been really cool for me to see. And that's why I think they're, they're both so special and why we're so blessed to have them here. I think that that's, you know, and then that's contagious, right? Then all the other guys see that, and then their love for the sport grows. And at the end of the day, it sounds really corny, but with it, this sport's too dang hard not to love it. If you don't love it, it's just not going to work. It's just too hard, right? I right. mean, think about all the stuff we do every day and all the stuff, the sacrifices and all the, the time constraints. Most kids want the easy button. They want video games and frat houses and girlfriends. They don't want to do the hard stuff, right? And, right. And, and But if you love it, if you love it, then it's just fun. It's It's not... It isn't even work. It's not something that you even consciously have to think about. You're just going in to, to get a roll in, man. I can't wait to get better today. And that's what they've brought to the table that I think is special. That's what I hope continues to grow and in how, the program culture. How are they with the kids? Like, do the kids like them on the recruiting trips? Like, what's that experience been like? Well, it's funny. So Trent, <laughs> Trent is uh, is they're they're very different people. I don't know if you know Travis is more of an introvert. He's I've only quiet, spoke to uh, Travis ever. I've never smoked a Trent in my life. Okay, well, Trent is hysterical. Me and Trent are really tight personally. He's, he's a lot like me. He's really funny, cuts up a lot. Everything's a big joke. As a matter of fact, when we were talking to start this talk, he dipped his head in. I'm in the conference room. I'm in the boardroom in our office, and he dipped his head in and started giggling at me and smiling. He's just always a jokester, and Travis is a lot more serious. But here's what's great. Once you get to know Travis, once you peel back that onion a little bit and get in there, he's, he's you know, the guys adore him. I mean, adore him. I mean, I've got guys on my team that all they want to do is hang out at Travis's house all day. They love them. And the same thing with Trent. <laughs> uh, Trent, Trent has like, they have like minions. Like Trent has his group of minions and then Travis has his minions. I'm serious. They just, the kids love them. So it, it, it's really cool to have that because look, in the past, it's been hit or, like, even with the great coaches I've had, there's always guys that are unhappy, right? I don't know that there's that many unhappy campers in our program. I feel like these kids are pretty excited to be here and they're, and they love coming in the room. They love being around those two guys. And so Again, it just keeps adding to that positivity when you, when you're when you're around our guys. I think. Wow, I mean they they were legends in the Midwest, you know, growing up for sure. And, and the fact that they're twins, I, I think maybe has something to do with it. But I mean, they're just so good. And just talking with Travis when I had him on the podcast, 
just seems like a really good person too. Like you can trust them and you don't have to worry about any, anything going wrong with that guy. He's just a solid, solid dude. I'm sure his brother's the same way. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and here's what they have that I think is a, is a gift. I think it's something that's made our relationship awesome is that when, when there is something like, let's say you disagree on something, hit it head on. Eyeball to eyeball, no backstabbing, no back talking. Um, no talking to the team and vice versa. It's just you and I are going to get after it right now and get it out of the way. And it's over with. And it's when it's over with, it's over with. We move forward. Denver gets brought up again. That's pretty unique, I think. Uh, yeah. You think men would do that, but I don't know, man. That, like me and Trent got after it the other day about something silly. And we were, went in the locker room, hashed it out, hugged it out. I was at his house that night. Done. It's over with. I was we're actually just talking to <laughs> I Coach Bono on the podcast recently. And he talks about like, John Reed or him are the same way where they – they, they tell each other how it is and there's no feelings hurt whatsoever. And that's really rare. Well, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And it's been big for me and it's been big for them. So yeah. You can just say it and then, all right, let's go. <laughs> Where are we going Move now? on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Man. Well, this has been so much fun, coach Garland. I just have a, a couple quick questions to, to wrap up here, but, um, okay. but no, I, uh, I'm a fan of Virginia wrestling. I didn't know much about it until recently, but, but man, I've been getting the newsletters for the Cavalier Club, and you know, big fan of uh, of Mueller, and I'm just excited for you guys. So, first question is, like, as you look to the future, like, what are you excited about for the program? Yeah, I think well, I think we have a really good young team. I think I'm really excited about the what the RTC and the Cavalier Wrestling Club you mentioned has been able to do for us is develop that freestyle training mindset. So we had four All Americans at the U23 World Team Trials, and 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 should have had a few more. I mean, we had a ton of guys doing well there, and that's without Jack wrestling. Jack Clayson high at the world team trials, Jack making the world team the year before Louis Hayes and JL coming on all these guys that have these um, freestyle aspirations. That's been really exciting. In other words, I'm excited to constantly be doing that. I can't wait to keep traveling with these guys. You know, Vic Marcelli was in the finals of the junior world team trials and, and, and the pursuit of trying to make world teams and, and making world teams, God willing, and, and traveling across the country and continuing to grow our brand and continue, and continue to grow uh, in wrestling, we want to get better and better. And so I'm really excited about where we're going to be. We, I'm pumped about our lineup moving forward. I think it's going to be a lot of really good young kids uh, in the lineup. We only lost two guys last year. Um, okay. And they were, you know, they were, they were, they were starters. And, and this the upcoming year, we only have two seniors again. So we've got pretty much everybody coming back with a big group of kids coming in. So uh, it's a really fun place to be for a young group. And I keep saying young group because um, – it, you never know where it's going to end up, but it, it, that's the fun part of seeing where it can end up. It's like, gosh, this guy can get so much, but he's already this good now. What's he going to look like in two years? And, uh, well, especially and a lot of guys when there's a off. legitimate group of people who all want to get better, the excitement right. is, is really hard to describe how much fun it is to be around that. And when you got other like-minded people like the Paulsons there, man, that's just a, that's a perfect storm. It just seems yeah. like a lot of fun right now. And the kids right love work. They're into it. I mean, you don't have to tell them to come in and lift with you at 8 a.m. You don't have to tell them to go do an extra workout on their own. Like, they, they're into it. <laughs> so that makes me yeah. fun, right? No, I got to get out there and uh, spend some time with you guys for, a, for maybe one of your big duels or something. I'd love to come out and hang out and just see what it's like out there. Yeah, we'd love to have you. That'd be awesome, man. Um, so just two more quick questions is, okay. what is your uh, – and I ask, I ask a lot of the coaches this because I'm genuinely curious. What's your day in the life like? during the season like what time do you get up what do you do during the day yeah sometimes practice yeah. that whole thing oh man so typical I, I get I'm an early dude I get in really early I usually 
leave the house, like especially during the season when we're really doing individuals constantly. So we, we believe wholeheartedly in individual work, almost like tutoring sessions, but in the wrestling room. So let's say Monday, my house at seven, my first workout will be at 7.45 with a couple guys, maybe three or four guys. And then I'll have a next group rotating at 8.30. My last group will be 9, 9 to 9.30. And then I shower, get in the office, um, you know, work till about 1, grab some food real quick, come back, bang out some more office work. Then we go 3.45 to about, you know, you know about 5.30. Um, usually after practice, there's a couple guys that need help with something. There's always somebody that comes to me about something, right? When you're the – Good and bad. When you're the boss, they all come to you with their problems, right? So I'll, I'll usually take about a half an hour after and just make sure I'm loving on kids and make sure they're getting what they need. And and then this is where it gets nutty. Um, on the way home, I usually make a couple of recruiting calls. I have a half hour drive home with traffic. So I bang out some recruiting calls. I get home around, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. Invest in your family as best you can. Try to enjoy them. They, get, they go down around 8. Uh, my, my oldest daughter is 13, so she goes up in a room and locks the door and who knows what she's doing, but my youngest uh, goes <laughs> night night, she goes to sleep, and then you're lucky if you get 20 minutes with your wife just to say, hey man, I love you, <laughs> how's everything going with you, and then I'm usually, usually I'm on the phone setting up the next day, so it's either recruiting calls or it's uh, whatever guy has to be lined up, you know, because there's just so many fires that have to be put out per day when you're in my position, lining up, you know, the schedule, doing this, doing that, and then um, you know, usually there's a staff meeting the next day after that. Once I get my, my breath underneath me, and then on Tuesday, we start planning out the rest of the week. So that's just a typical Monday. And it just goes and wow. goes and goes from there because, because not only am I fundraising for the university and Virginia wrestling, I'm also fundraising for the club and the Paulsons are too. And so we're constantly thinking about all these other areas that most parents don't realize. When, when I get this at church, I walk in church, people say, how are you enjoying your summer coach? How's your summer off? How's your break? I don't say anything because I don't want to be rude. But I giggle to myself and thinking. If you only knew, break. I've had, what, three days off since the NCAA tournament ends. I mean, what do you mean break? There's no break. That's <laughs> one five well, off-season tournaments. Well, some folks just say it's busier in the off-season sometimes. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's crazy. So the in-season, the regular season at least has a rhythm to it, you know. And then, you know, the other thing is breaking down. Phil, in-season, you're obsessed with your opponent that week, and then the next week you worry about the next opponent, and then you worry about the nationals. I shouldn't say worry. Focused and preparing for that. So it's constant film breakdown, constant meetings, building guys up, meeting Jack for coffee and, say, and just sitting down and talking to him about his wife and his growth and his walk of faith. And, you know, these are, these are things that have to be done. But before you know it, there's not enough time in the day. <laughs> so it's, right, uh, I right. think it's pretty busy. Well, just trying to uh, – <clears throat> the recruiting now must be so different from when you were at Cornell in 2000 because of flow and all the, the rankings and the, the matches they have out there. I mean, how has the recruiting changed from 2000 to now? Well, the volume. So with the new rules, you, you, we can start calling 2021s a month, right? And it's just, gosh. So now I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about the 2020 group. And before I can even, you know, get that worked out, now I got to start calling 2021s. Think about that. I mean, these kids are only rising juniors. They haven't even started their junior year yet. They, they're just little kids, and you're calling them. That seems almost too early now, in my opinion. I couldn't agree so more. Think? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's way too early. And what that's done, then, it doubles your call or it doubles your volume. It doubles your the money you're spending on visits. I mean, it's just it, – it's overwhelming. It, it really is. And then next thing you know, parent calls you up and says, hey, so-and-so was just here at the house. Where are you guys? And then next thing – and so wow. then you're driving up somewhere – just to love on somebody because so-and-so was there, right? And you can't lose. You got to go get them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one ever, yeah. no one ever once, not once, not once, brother, has anyone ever said, hey, man, how is your family doing? Hey, Steve, your wife, she works full-time too, right? Yeah, yeah, works two jobs. Gosh, sometimes three jobs. Man, well, you, don't worry. You don't need to come up here. You just, 
hold your wife. Go take her to dinner. <laughs> that never happened, right? It never will. And so like, I can't even think like that. I start to go down that road in my mind. Like, can't even, no one cares. No one cares. You know, not one. I think very rarely uh, when my, my dad died, for example, uh, it meant the world to me that, that guys actually came into my office and looked me in the eye and said, Coach, are you okay? I know you guys had a rocky relationship. I know he was really struggling, but he's still your dad. Are you okay? I mean, gosh, it meant yeah. the world to me. Was, I think it was one of the first times in my whole career anybody ever asked me how I'm doing. Because, right. you know, typically what happens is assistant coaches, they went, Coach, what are you going to do? Hey, I need more money. Coach, I need this. I need that. I want associate. No, I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. And it's never about, hey, Coach, what do you need, brother? How can I help you out? You're right. struggling. How do I help you out? And so that is, is what I think sometimes can weigh on me psychologically. And I think we're in a good place now where I don't have that anymore. And it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, I love being around people that actually do care about me because, man, I'm human. I, I want people to care about me, too. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I I think it's interesting how busy the Division One coaches are that I talk to. It's, it is truly a workless and thankless job. And I'm just blown away by, uh, you know, how much work there is. I mean, the calling and like the recruiting and, and then the fundraising. I mean, that's, that's something a lot of, a lot of programs, unless you're in the top five, you have to do the fundraising yourself still. Um, For sure. And then the RTC is a big part of it, which that goes into the recruiting, how good your RTC program. So there's so much going on and man, it's just, uh, it's just unbelievable to think that you guys are out there on the beat doing it every day, which is Awesome, because then we get to watch it all in March. <laughs> um, so, Coach, I just wanted to wrap up. With, obviously, the last question I ask a lot of folks is, you know, in a few sentences, how has the sport impacted your life? Um, like, what are some life lessons you take away from uh, from wrestling? Well, I think the first thing is is teaching you how to compete, um, how to be a competitor. I think wrestling with hand to hand combat. Gosh, what a way uh, to learn about how to how to really battle in life, uh, taught me work ethic. You know, if you really, if you really want to be good at this thing, you have to constantly be working, constantly be thinking in every area. And the last thing is it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling. <laughs> I think, I mean, gosh, I've been humbled so many times in this sport still to this day. And, and, and again, for me, I tell my guys this in the, in that pit of humility is the, is the place where you're most ready to learn, where your heart, heart's wide open, your eyes are open, your ears are open to listen. You're finally ready to learn. And so it's a good place to be. And, and wrestling gets me to that point. I get to that point where, okay, oh, here's another lesson coming. Uh, and then lastly, I would say relationship. Uh, the cool thing about wrestling is it's, it's, it's provided these amazing relationships for me. And it's also given me a platform to then go out and speak and share my story and share whatever message God's put on my heart across the country. And even I got to be a team chaplain uh, for the junior world team in Brazil in 2015 and got to room with Brandon Slay in Brazil. And that was really wow. a dream come true. And so it's provided the opportunity for me to obviously build new relationships and, and share and hopefully make an impact much bigger than I ever could have possibly imagined when I was a little knucklehead kid running around North Street and Linden Block in Middletown, New York, you know, so right. um, I would say those <laughs> things. <laughs> it's crazy to think about that. I mean, that's where it all started and, you know, just your will and um, your self-drive and self-belief you know, and willingness to learn is something I've picked up from this one is you love learning and you're, uh, that's part of like kind of who you are. And so that's obviously taking you to, to all these great places. And I mean, I can't, I can't wait to, sit, to keep learning from you myself. And I know it's just the beginning of, of our, uh, our friendship here. So I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast coach. 
and you have a great day and best of luck to the to the rest of the summer for you thanks so much buddy thank you so much take care bye-bye all right man bye that's the end of this episode but definitely not the end of the show for more episodes please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org subscribe to us on itunes give us a star rating show the love baby show the love thank you so much we'll see you again soon peace